for once in my life. It had nothing to do with me. That's great. You heard that from the sound man, right? It's, it's normally the pastor's fault on everything. All right. Uh, guys, we are continuing our study this morning in the nine marks of a healthy church. And um, again, for those of you who have not read this book, I would encourage you to pick it up. Uh, again, there's a PDF online. You can get it for free. Um, but it's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. And um, we are in the last mark. I know, they're excited. People everywhere are going crazy. Um, we, uh, we have some good news and bad news. The good news is it is the last mark uh, in the study. However, we're going to make this a two-parter. I know, y'all thought I was, no, y'all knew I wasn't going to finish uh, on time. So uh, this is going to be a two-parter. We're going to introduce one part today uh, in, in, in regards to this last mark of a healthy church, and then we'll close, Lord willing, next week. Please be in prayer where we're going to go next. I'm asking God to uh, lead me. We are in an Old Testament book, which we will begin to study. And um, you guys know me well. If you're visiting, you do not know me. But we like to study a book of the Bible at a time. I believe that's the way we should study the Word of God. We should study it one book at a time. We should go through in context so that we understand in context what God is saying. And so as we continue our study uh, through the Word of God, that's what we hope to do. We've been detouring for the summer to do a topical, and uh, that's not typical, but we've been there, and it's been a great topical study. At least I know uh, in my study time, I have enjoyed uh, being reminded of the importance to do a self-checkup as a church family, and that's what we've been doing through these nine marks. So... With that said, uh, where are we going to go today? What is the last mark of a healthy church? Leadership. If Community Baptist Church, and I believe it is a very healthy church, if it's going to remain a healthy church, if we're going to continue into the future being a healthy church, we need to understand biblically what God has to say in the area of leadership within the local church. Now, many of you have been sitting in on my Sunday school study and we just concluded last week on that, and we talked about the importance of pastors in the church. What's another word for pastor, student? Elder. So when you read the scriptures and you see the word elder, who are they talking about? They're talking about the pastors. What's another word that the scriptures use to describe a pastor or an elder? Bishop, thank you, Crystal. Give that cake out for lunch today. A bishop, a bishop. So when you read that, a man who desires the work of uh, uh, the office of a bishop, the bishop is a what? Pastor. Now, another word for bishop used in the scriptures is this descriptive term, which is what? Overseer. What does an overseer imply? They're overseeing things. It's really not that hard, guys, if we actually just read the Scriptures and pay attention. I use the illustration in my Sunday school study. When I say commander-in-chief and I say president, am I talking about two different offices? No. If I say commander-in-chief or I say president, we're describing the same office. We're using two different terms, but we're describing the same office. Scripture uses... Elder, presbyteros, the Greek word, it uses the word bishop, episkopos, overseer, episkopos. It also uses poimen, which is shepherd or pastor. But it's describing the same office. So as you're reading the New Testament, it's important that you understand these terms. Now, denominations practice this polity in differing manners. You can go to the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Quaker Church, the Episcopal... I mean, you can look at the various denominations and they may implement these things in a differing governance. And those of you who are in my class, I think Scripture puts the emphasis on character. 
So whether you have one pastor or a plurality of pastors, whether you want to call them an elder or whether you want to call them a bishop, the main thing is are they fulfilling a biblical role? Are they carrying out biblical responsibilities? And is their character in line with the qualifications? That's more important than the structure. Does that make sense? So when we talk about the subject leadership, which I'm going to talk more about that next week, because this week we want to get the context for that discussion. Remember what I say, context, context, context. You're not going to understand a subject matter unless you get the full context. So we want to look at the full context this morning in regards to church leadership. Mark does this in his study. So let me ask this question. Who does God intend to have the final say when it comes to what is taught and done in churches? Give me some answers. Just Okay. Word of God. Absolutely. Now, we know that. We know that definitely is the end-all, say-all. God has the final say. So we would agree with that statement. But let's explore it a little deeper. Let's put it on a practical sense. Certainly, we all agree that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? I mean, that's, we better get that one straight. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. The Bible has the final say on the leadership, has the final say on the structure, has the final say on what's taught, has the final say on how we do things. Absolutely. Scripture has the final say. We know and we all agree Christ is head of the church. He's our leader. Your pastor's not your leader. God is our leader. The Holy Spirit leads us, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We Christians are told to have the mind of Christ. The body of believers is made up by definition of believers. I've said it oftentimes. The church by definition, follow me, the church by definition cannot be made up of unbelievers. That's an oxymoron. The true church, by definition, are those who have repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They make up the true church. They make up the body of believers. You can't be a believer and an unbeliever at the same time is my point. Now, in these four walls, we may have unbelievers come and sit with us. And that's great. We, we hope they do choose to come in and hear the gospel, repent, and put their faith in Christ. We would love for that to happen. But the point of this gathering is not for the unbeliever. The point of this gathering is to equip you, the believer, so that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that we don't do church, we are the church. So that when we go out of this holy huddle, ready, break, to use football term, we go out into the world and we implement the play. Out there's where we're reaching the loss. Out there is where we're letting our light so shine before men so that they might glorify our Father in heaven. That's where the mission field is, guys. Now, too many churches have made this the mission field. They have said, hey, let's do some things that's going to get the unbeliever to come into the church. And what's happened is we have this influx of worldliness coming into the body of Christ. It's a little leaven that's beginning to balloon I know I look a little biscuitous this morning, right? We're, we're ballooning. You take those little, you like it when they pop? That's kind of scary sometimes, isn't it? But if we're not careful, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so that's why a lot of churches, especially in America, look very much like the world. Their intentions were great. Do you know the saying about great intentions? Good intentions. Guys, we must take our instruction from the Word of God. The church, by definition, consist of believers. And yes, it's okay to have a holy huddle. you got to be on the team before you can make the play. You need to believe before you belong. But once you're a part of the team, you better be exercising the place. And so you're equipped here to do the work of the ministry, to quote Ephesians 4. But we're told to have the mind of Christ. Uh, look in 1 Corinthians 2.16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. It's up here on the screen, if not. But 1 Corinthians 
2, 16 says this. Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Church, we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we have the mind of Christ? You have the Holy Spirit as a believer. You're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you if you're a born-again believer. But what else do you have? You have the truth. You have God's very Word. You want to know what God thinks about something? Look at what He said about something. Well, I just feel like... I don't care what you feel like. What does God say? And this is our problem, gang. We want to flirt with every other philosophy and every other idea because it makes us feel good. But that's not how it works. You see, we're dead spiritually before we come to Christ. And so there's no wonder there's already a natural slant to want to feed the flesh. There's no, uh, we shouldn't be confused about why it's so easy to do what I want to do because I was used to Jeremy being at the center of the universe. Not just because my dad called me son. By nature, we all are selfish individuals. But when we're born again and the Spirit of God comes in and dwells us, the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So we're to renew our mind. And how do we renew our mind? The Bible says through the, wash, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, and through the washing of the Word. So if I want to know how to think like Christ, I better saturate my mind and my soul with the Word of God. That's how I renew my mind. And we're to renew our mind daily. I think about things in the world differently as a believer than I did as an unbeliever. And still, with every time that I go into the Word of God, I go with anticipation that God is going to illuminate and enlighten my understanding so that I will begin to grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I hope that the way I see the world today, I will see it even clearer ten years from now. And I should if I'm growing in Christ, if I'm growing in the understanding of God's will and way for my life. So, question again. Who has the final say when it comes to the, the teaching, when it comes to, to how we do things as a church? Who has the final say? Is it the plurality of pastors? Is it what Pastor Dean and Pastor Nate and Pastor Jeremy determine? Do, do we have the final say in this church? Maybe it's the deacons. Do the deacons get to make the final decision as to what Community Baptist Church is going to do, what's going to be taught? Are they the final say? Maybe it's a denominational hierarchy. Maybe we need to appeal to, to the uh, uh, outside hierarchy of, of, of the church order. You know, there's some denominations that that's where the orders come from. That's where the marches come from. That's where the directions come from straight from the Pope down, or straight from the denominational setup. But is that what Scripture... Maybe it's the women's ministry. Who has the final say? God has invested certain authority within the local church to the congregation. Church, you. God's intent was for you to have the say in this process. And I said, now wait a minute. Seems a little upside down. I meant to include my little flow chart, but one of the things I do in my flow chart, if any of you have seen that flow chart, um, we start with Christ as the head. You see the elders, you see the deacons, you see the leaders in the teaching staff in the church, and then you see here at the bottom, you see the people, the congregation. But if you notice real carefully, the color of that congregation is the same color as the pastors. And that was intentional. And we'll explain why as we unpack this lesson this morning, because the congregation has a say. Well, how do I know this? Well, let's think about, turn to Acts 6. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts 6. 
If you'll notice in Acts chapter 6. Remember, the church was just being birthed here. They were beginning to grow. There were literally thousands, 3,000 added in one day. The, the widows, the Hellenistic widows were just, uh, I mean, there was such demand that the apostles could not handle everything that was going on, nor should they. And so we see this situation arise. Notice, if you would, in chapter 6 of Acts, verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, gang, we don't have apostles today, but again, this is the formation of the church. And so they represent pastors, elders, bishops of today in this idea, in this concept. Pastor Nate, Pastor Jeremy should not be spending their time waiting on tables. That doesn't mean we can't. doesn't mean that we, we, we shouldn't be repairing playgrounds and that we couldn't you know, necessarily change light bulbs. But that's not what God called me in my role and responsibility to do. And there are a lot of churches that have the expectation, well, that's what we pay our pastor for. And if that's been your traditional understanding, then I'm sorry to disappoint you. Scripture does not put that responsibility on the pastors. Again, I can assure you, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, and Pastor Jeremy have plunged more toilets than you would like to imagine. We've changed more air filters, and we've done a lot more around here than you probably have a clue on, and that's okay. But don't miss the point. Our responsibility is to be given to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And if we're going to be a healthy church, then we must be free to give that our focus. Because that is what God has called us to. Because that is our number one priority within the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says that God has given gifts to you, church. He has given you presents. He's given you gifts. And pastors are a gift. I know some of you want a return policy on this one, but I, it doesn't work that way. Take it up with him. Um, it's a gift to the church. And we must understand roles and responsibilities. So, continuing on. He, so these 12 come to him. It says, It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Not the business, this business. What was this business at hand? Yeah, the, the, the widows, they needed help being, being fed. And so... The, the definition of diakonos, a servant, it literally here is a table waiter. They were, they were, we need some people to wait on these ladies at their tables. We need people to help feed them. And so this business at hand, specific business at hand was that. Some will argue this is why this is not protocol for the deacons, that uh, this was not the first deacon board. I would argue, and I think scripturally it supports it. Again, the church is forming. These would become the principles that God uh, uses Paul to pen later when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. He's laying out the qualifications. He's laying out the how-to of church worship and church service. So this is a building block, a foundation in which it's built upon. So, he says, Seek out from among yourself, verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And that's important for the health of a church. And the saying upset the congregation and they called for a reboot. Oh, no, no, no. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And they go through a list of names that were there in their congregation. Guys, this is one of the reasons... This is one of the reasons why we use this approach in selecting deacons. As you know, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be approving 
deacons to serve here. And this is where, again, we get a scriptural view of how we as a church should select deacons. And I'm just going to say this. It pains me. I'm not trying to make fun of you if you're one of these people. But, but it, it, always, it just makes me laugh. Make Pastor Nate, we kind of chuckle about this every time because you know when we get to this time of year, people will say, well, I need a list of names. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Read that scripture. You know who is spirit-filled, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And if you can't remember their name, then they probably aren't somebody who stands out as being full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, and so therefore you probably don't need a list. Now, with that said, I'm not going to die on that hill because I'm forgetful too. What's y'all's name? Anyway, I just get So I get it. I get it. But it is kind of a little chuckle, in-house chuckle. <laughs> anyway, so... Acts 6 is a model for selecting deacons. But what else are we seeing here? What we see here is that decision was left with who? Who was it given to? Who was the responsibility delegated to? Let me put it that way. Congregation. The church. The apostles or pastors didn't go in and say, okay, you... You, you, necessarily in that case. They didn't do that. Now, it says they appointed, right? They had a say in it, which, by the way, that's why we do the process we do. You choose from amongst yourself, spirit-filled men. They are then interviewed by our deacons and pastor, pastors to be certain of a qualification. And then they're appointed to the responsibilities. Because, again, who understands what's needed around here probably more than anybody? The pastors, because we're here every day and night and other times. <laughs> so, another example on why I know that the final say rests with the congregation. Discipline. Not only in the deacon selection, but we also see in discipline. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, You've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the pastor. Is that what it says? Tell it to the church. Now we know this isn't the universal church. Summoning all believers in LaGrange and North Carolina and America, and the world. We got a problem over here. We need you all to come together so we can straighten it out. No, see, this scripture makes it clear that God, Jesus Christ is the one saying these words, incarnate, God incarnate. He's saying, implying, there's a local gathering of believers. There is a local church. And the local church is a representation locally of the global community. So Community Baptist Church in LaGrange, we are a local hub, a local group of believers that God has placed you in to Community Baptist Church. And if you're looking for a church, I'm telling you, community is a good one to consider. Praise be to God. So here in this local community, we understand scripturally there's a responsibility in the area of discipline. And so notice what happens. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So when we come to step four in church discipline, it's not the pastors and deacons who have the authority to put somebody out of the church. It's the congregation. It's the church who makes that decision. So, two scriptural examples of where that final say rest with the congregation. 1 Corinthians, you know the story. Again, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians because there is someone who is in their midst in that local church. He's been sleeping, having an affair, an immoral and adulterous lifestyle with his dad's wife. Probably a stepmom. And instead of the church dealing with him in a disciplinary way, trying to get him to repent and call him to repent, 
they're glorying in it. They're acting like there's nothing wrong with it. And I can assure you, gang, you are weird. Community Baptist Church, you are weird because you actually think God says that you should not practice a lifestyle of immorality and adultery. You are weird in your society. You are a peculiar people because you don't embrace, hey man, it's 2018, you need to roll with the times. Y'all are old-fashioned. You need to get with the program. Things have changed. No, things have not changed. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when God says something is sin, we either agree with it and receive it, or we reject it. And we've got a lot of people who don't want to accept it. They want to reject it. And even people within the church, people who are naming the name of Christ, saying, yeah, I'm a believer, but... And we try to justify our lifestyle of sin. Guys, it's sin. And Paul is writing all of 1 Corinthians for this very point. He said, you need to be dealing with this as sin because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you don't get it out, it's going to... And you're going to be in trouble. That's Greek, by the way. And so, he's making this point. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Church, you have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to each other. Not to be judgmental. Hmm. I'm better than you. That's not the attitude. If that's the attitude, you're missing the boat. No, the attitude is one of love. This, Brother, this is not right. I love you. I, I'm telling you, I am pleading with you. You can't keep this. That, this is sin. God has said this is sin. And I am fearful for your life. I am fearful for your direction. This ends in death. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. The end is death. It is like your child playing in the freeway. And you're, you're standing there with, with your brothers and sisters, and your kid is in the freeway. Well, I just... He really likes it. He's not hurting anybody. I, I just need to leave him alone. I mean, he'll... I think we just keep loving on him. He will grow up and he'll understand he, that this is wrong. No, a Mack truck is going to hit him and he's going to be bug juice on the middle of the highway. And yet this is the same attitude you and I take in the churches too often times when we see a brother or a sister. Well, I know they're living together and I know they're having an inappropriate relationship. But we just need to love on them. Let God do, that, do the judge. I don't really want to judge. Well, you just made that judgment. Guys, if I love them, I need to plead. I need to reason. I need to share the truth, not my opinion. I need to share the truth with them, what God says about it. And so that's what Paul's writing, and he's saying. And notice who he's given the responsibility to. He is saying to the church... I can assure you, you know the lifestyle of the person sitting next to you better than I know it. And God is concerned with the pureness and holiness of His church. And sin is sickening. Sin is what put Christ on the cross. And guys, we have watered down. We have made it acceptable and we're just not worried about it. And I'm pleading with all of us not to play Holy Spirit, but to let the Holy Spirit use you to lovingly confront, exhort, rebuke, correct. This is scriptural language I'm, I'm giving you. These aren't Jeremy's words. This is God's words with gentleness and meekness. Considering yourself, lest you too should fall into that same condemnation.
So we've got to be careful how we approach it, yes. But it's loving. When we know a lifestyle is being executed in a believer's life, we can't ignore it. The congregation has that responsibility. Paul instructs the whole church. In 2 Corinthians 2, 6, we see something of how this church responded to Paul's directive. So we get to 2 Corinthians, and it seems the guy's repented. This guy that was sleeping with his mother, uh, stepmother, it seems that, that he's writing 2 Corinthians because this guy's repented. And notice what he tells the church here. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. He said, well, okay, you can back off now. God's been repentant. It seems like he's being restored. And again, 2 Corinthians 2.6. Look, look at that phrase. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority. What does that imply? All in favor of putting Joe Bob out. Raise your hand. Majority is in agreement. There was an implication here with that phrase that the church had an active part following Jesus' words in Matthew 18. They told it to the church and the church held him accountable. Church, it's your, my responsibility as the local church in accountability. The church has a responsibility in what is taught. Well, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you first off what I don't mean. Preacher, I think you need to be preaching on such and such and such and such. That's not what this means. So please don't line up at the door and send me your recommendations on the next 10 series. I do ask that you pray that the head of the church gives me his marching orders as to what book of the Bible we need to be in for his providential and timely and sovereign hand in where we are in our life today. And so I desperately covet your prayers that I will hear and heed the head of the church. So pray for that. Please pray for that. But what does this mean? Well, Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. You can go to Galatians if you want to, or you can read it up here. In Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. And by the way, Paul is writing to this church. It's a lot of Jewish people. They were, they were trying to implement laws on top of grace. They were saying Jesus plus good works, which is a false gospel. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. Let me say that again. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. So Paul says to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Who's he addressing? He's addressing the church. But even if we, Paul's saying, look, even if I, even if we, or an angel from heaven, maybe he knew uh, Moroni was coming, or, you know, you think about the revelation that was given to the Mormons and the revelation given to Islam. Even if an angel should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Church, you have a responsibility. When Pastor Jeremy is long dead and gone, or when God says, move on to the next place, I have got a mission for you. Now, I hope it's, you know, I'm 120 when I leave CBC. But that's in God's hands. But regardless, Community Baptist has a responsibility that what comes from this pulpit, what comes from the teaching in the classrooms, that we hold those people accountable to the truth of the gospel. And if I ever err in my teaching on something that is not in line with scriptural authority, church, you have a responsibility to hold me accountable. See, this is where liberalism came in. The church didn't have, they didn't hold 
those teachings accountable. And so they creep in unaware. Not in their underwear. They creep in unaware. And they begin to pervert and lead people astray off into these little isms. And that's why we have so many churches that are just in complete error now. Church, we have a responsibility to hold them accountable. In the Nine Marks Leadership on page 235-236, Mark Dever says this, Throughout this whole letter to the Galatians, Paul tells the church that they are responsible for judging the correctness of the message being presented to them by others. Paul says that the message they have been hearing is not really the gospel. Therefore, they must assume the responsibility of rejecting both that message and those who are delivering it. And we too, church... And this is why Paul warns that uh, it's not good that too many of you become a teacher because our judgment is stricter. And that's why it's important, though, church, that we all rightly divide the word of truth. It's not enough for you to come in here Sunday after Sunday and let somebody spoon-feed you. Here we go, baby. Here we go, Seth. Open up. You know? And I wouldn't do that to Seth because he's maturing. Probably a slingshot now. Anyway. This is our responsibility to grow up in the faith, to learn to hold the spoon. Now, some of us are babies in Christ, and that's perfectly fine. You keep desiring the precious milk of God's Word like a newborn babe desires milk. That's a good thing. So you can grow. But we should not sit on these pews for 40 years and never learn to cut and eat our own steak when it comes to the Word of God. So we must grow in grace and knowledge. And that's where that discipleship lesson we talked about is so important. So, is this thing not? Yep, there we go. Notice what 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 says. 2 Timothy says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Now he's talking to Timothy here. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, preach the Word. Which again, I understand Timothy's responsibility. This is to me. We're going to talk about this next week in my responsibility as a leader within the church, what my responsibility as a leader is. To preach the Word. But he goes on, he says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths." Who is Paul saying in later times will be responsible for rejecting the truth? The church. The church is culpable. That's what this is saying. The church is culpable. That's why, church, you have a responsibility. And as a member of the church, I too have a responsibility. That we're not culpable and just wanting to set up teachers who make us feel good we got too many teachers out there that want to make you feel good. You know what? I'm sorry if you don't feel good when you leave my messages, but I'm more concerned with whether or not you heard God's truth. That's my greater desire. Did you hear the truth of God's Word? What you do with it is between you and God. Oh yeah, man, we could, we could definitely go to a place where they're riding unicycles and juggling fire and have the band come out. And smoke coming out, you know, and be entertained and be like, man, that was awesome service today. Was it? I mean, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Preach the word. Preach the word. Church, you have a responsibility selecting your preachers and teachers. Community Baptist Church, you know this. Our Constitution has it set up this way. You're congregationalists in this. 
You had a say on Pastor Jeremy being your pastor teacher. I am grateful that we all were seeking God's leading and God's will for the life of this church and for the life of our family. And it's been clear and evident that that was and is God's will for Community Baptist Church and for our life. I am grateful that you were a church that sought God's leadership in directing your path as to the future of Community Baptist Church. As you know our story, Northern Saskatchewan, Eastern North Carolina. Which one do you, where, where do you want us, God? The U-Haul's packed. We've been living for six months. My wife just had a newborn, four kids. I feel like Abraham. I'm going to a land I know not. Where you want us, God? You were praying too. Selecting your preachers and teachers. By the way, you're gonna in a couple weeks. We're gonna we're gonna approve teachers for the classrooms, directors, department heads, deacons. You have an active say in that. That's a good thing. As long as Christ is our head, praying for God, praying for God called pastors and missionaries. Church, that's your responsibility to pray for your pastors, to pray for your missionaries. If we're going to be a healthy church, this really needs to be a, a, a daily and a continual practice in our lives. If we're going to be a healthy church. Approving or disproving of the teaching? How? You know, that by simply just sitting and listening repeatedly and, and, and just being happy. I mean... At the end of the day, if you just sit here and I'm teaching error and you don't confront me about it, that's on you. That's what Paul was warning and talking about. Now, you know my saying. When I teach something, I often say this. Don't take my word for it. Go look it up for yourself. And if there's times that there's a teaching that's in direct conflict of Scripture, then let's bring our Bibles, not our experiences, Let's bring our Bibles and not our tradition. Let's bring our Bibles and not our feelings. Let's bring our Bibles and not our logic. Let's bring the authoritative Word of God and let's reason together. If a, if a holy God can say, come, let us reason together, though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. If a sinful man is invited to come and reason with God in His holiness... Surely us mere men can reason together. It's not to say that you will always agree 100% on things that we see in Scripture. But is it a core doctrine? Does this mean congregationalism is democracy? Is that what this means? Does this mean that Churches are ran by democracy? Is that what? Is that what? Jer is this what Pastor Jeremy's teaching? No. Let's get that real clear. This is not what the scriptures are teaching us. And this is why next week, part two, it's important that you come and hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Some of you, have, huh? Who's that? Ask some of your older folks, they can tell you. No, it's not democracy. Consider Laodicea. By the way, I told Larry, I said, man, you was dancing all over my message this morning. I love it when the Spirit of God puts a plan together. Um, so, consider Laodicea. Revelation, let's read this. Chapter 3, 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, and he, he, he used that interpretation as the pastors of the church, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works. Who's he talking to here? The church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I appreciated Larry this morning explaining. We use this verse out of context and oftentimes say it's an individual salvation call. And it's not. This is written to the churches. When you read Revelation, he's talking to the churches. By the way, why do we know this isn't a democracy? The rule of the people. The word leo means laity and dice means rule. Therefore, when the two words are combined, the result is the rule of the people. Thus, in Laodicea, we have a democratic church in which the laity rules. That's why they're being rebuked. Jonathan Owens was voted out 90-some percent of his church. I'm pretty confident the church was wrong in that one. <laughs> Guys, we get it wrong. The masses get it wrong. That's why, in our, in our, that's why in our republic, by the way, we're a republic. You know that, right? U.S. of A. is a republic, not a, not a democracy. But there's confusion in that. And so this is why we're seeing a change in America. Because the majority is saying, we want to go into sin. Who's with me? And just because the majority says it doesn't make it right. And so, no, the church is not a democracy that just because the masses in Community Baptist Church want to go a certain way may or may not be God's will. And Laodicea is, serves as a warning in Scripture to us to be careful that just because the authority, the final say, is in the hands of the pew, you better be sure that in the hands of the pew... We are seeking God's will be done, not my will be done. And again, this is what happens when we open the doors and carnality comes into the church and there's no growth and discipleship happening and so we're left with mere man's wisdom in making decisions. And mere man's decisions seems right, but it's a path that leads to destruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Guys, it's so important that we understand this. Christ is the head. We are under a theocracy. Christ is our King. The church is ran from the top down with Christ as our head. But God has called us to be His body. So we have an active role to play. But we better be certain that the mind that's in Christ is the mind that's within us as we are making prayerful decisions as to discerning God's leading and discerning God's will for the future of Community Baptist Church if we're going to be a healthy church. Our way or God's way, there's only one way. But when we become unbiblical in our dealings, and err from God's instructions, then we run the risk of becoming ruled by the people. Or even a single person. We talked about this in the Sunday school, and I'll, I'll hit on this next week. That as a single pastor, if there's only one pastor in this church, and we're fortunate there's three pastors in this church, and I think a plurality of pastors is the healthiest way to go because there's accountability amongst those godly men. And listen, again, if there's a single pastor, I'm not bashing that. I'm just saying that he better make certain that he is, in, in the church better make certain that this is a man who is seeking God's leading continually and daily and, and asking for direction in his life. And he should have some accountability, whether it's within the local body or outside the local body. But here's the important thing. When it comes to this, if we're not careful, we can become unbiblical. 
We run the risk of being ruled by the people or a single person, not yielding to the control of Christ within us. And that's the takeaway I want you to take away. Here's our application. Church, you have an active part in the decisions of this church. You have a responsibility. And that's not based upon how I feel about it. And that's not based upon the traditions of, well, this is the way I've always done it. And it's not even a logical. Well, it just makes sense we would do this. Guys, if we went by logic, let me just say this. If we went by logic, we would never grow. Our whole life is based on faith. The just shall live by faith. That's why every year we review the finances. Collective group of men. And we ask the lay people who are department heads to submit their suggestions for their departments. And we prayerfully discern as we go through and set a potential budget for the next year. But if we go just based upon the numbers, there's no room for faith in that. Now, we've got to be you know, smart about it, wise about it, and I believe we have. And I'm, but, but I think if we don't allow ourselves some vision, some room for growth, some expectation, I hope to the good Lord that next year at this time... Surely we've got one or two or three more families coming into the body of Christ. And if not, then I, man, that's got to be the pastor's fault. <laughs> Here's an idea. Church, what if we all made it a prayerful mission between now and this time next year? God, give me one family. One family. To reach for Christ to see them either come to know Christ for the first time or a family that's struggling maybe in their faith, and their walk, they're not growing, they're not maturing, and they need to be discipled. There's, and we know Community Baptist Church gives teaching that's going to help them grow in their faith and understanding of the purpose of the church and the purpose for their life. One family? You can't reach one family? I'm not going to call out any names, but we've, we've got some new people that have, have brought more into these churches than some of you brought in the whole nine years I've been here. And that's not meant to be ugly. It's not meant to try and... You know, but I'm just saying something's wrong if we're not making the effort. If you're making the effort, no one's coming. That's not on you. We're not responsible for the, for the fruit, but we are responsible to be faithful. One man sows, one man waters, but God brings the increase. Trust the increase to Him. I'm not talking to you if you're doing this, if you're reaching out, you're sharing your faith. I'm not talking to you. You may have not brought somebody in 20 years, but if you're genuinely, actively pursuing people for the cause of Christ, I'm not talking to you. So I don't need to hear afterwards, well, I didn't, but I am talking to you. If your faith is not real enough that you don't want to share it, if your faith is not so transforming that you're not excited to tell people about Christ, if we're going to be a healthy church, we have a responsibility. You help choose the leadership. You help enforce the discipline. You help by utilizing your gifts. Are you using your gifts? You help by giving and deciding how the money's spent. And I'm going to say this one last thing and we're going to move on, I promise you. At the start of the year, you vote. Here's my bill for the next year. And I agree to pay it. You agree to that. You say, well, I didn't agree to it. Well, then you need to come to the business meeting. That's your fault. It ain't my fault you didn't show up. I know I'm being, for visitors, I'm being on a little soapbox right here. So just stay with me. This is for the church. Show up. You have a say. And you shouldn't show up and have your say. You should have your say long before you get there if you have a problem with it. Because this isn't the forum to start all of a sudden, you know, airing out. Which, by the way, if you're visiting, our business meetings are awesome. I've been in some business meetings that are really ugly. And I've not, I've not seen one here in nine years. I never want to see one here because I see what those look like. But guys, we have a responsibility. And I say, I'm going to pay this bill. Now, I know you fine folks. I know you well enough. When you say, I'm going to pay this bill at home with that new car, 
When you say, I'm going to pay this bill with that mortgage. When you say, I'm going to pay this bill with that boat. When you say, I'm going to pay this bill, whatever it is, whatever it is, you agree. And when times are tough and when the money's not there, what do you do? Default? I think most of you do what we do. We make sacrifices. We sell a vehicle and a family of six goes to one vehicle. I seek to lead this church the way I lead my home. And I don't think it's out of place for your pastor to expect you to do the same when it comes to the household of God. And so we do what we have to do to make sure that what we signed on to, we do. And if we need to make adjustments for the next year, then we do. And we will. You have a say. You help by calling and supporting the missionaries. Some of our missionary funding, you know this year has been a little lower. We still have a responsibility. We still have a say. You help by praying for the pastors and the people of CBC. That's our responsibility, praying for one another. You help by sharing your faith and reaching new people for the cause of Christ. That's our responsibility. If we're going to be a healthy church, guys, this is part of what God has called Community Baptist Church to. And I want to encourage you, not leave you feeling like you just got lectured. I want to encourage you. You are running a great race. You are doing well. I always go back to that illustration with Mark Gentry. I was ready to throw up, and I was about to puke my guts up. And I took that last turn, and it was a 5K, and, and Nate's out riding 130-some miles a day on a bike and running like, who knows, crazy amounts. And, and here I'm about to, you know, just die. And I'll see Mark Gentry yelling, go, go! It's the home stretch, man. And I kicked it into a new gear I didn't know I had because of a little encouragement from a brother. So I want to encourage you, brothers. I want to encourage you, sisters. Kick it into another gear. We got this. The finish line. I see it. I see it. Let's do it. Let's finish our race well, Community Baptist Church, and you will, because He is faithful who's begun this work in us, and He will complete it. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word, Lord. And again, as we've looked at the subject of leadership, this is the context of how leadership is decided. You've given that to the local church. And next week, Lord, I pray that these folks will come back and that we'll see the areas of uh, responsibility with those you have asked to lead within the congregation. And Lord, you have a plan in that too. Give us the understanding that we need and direct our steps in this, Lord, as we implement it so that we wouldn't be just hearers of the word, but we would be doers. And Father, I pray this morning, especially if there is a visitor here, someone here today, maybe it's even a member, somebody who's sat here for all these years, that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would deal with them where they are in their life, realizing that the Bible makes it real clear. Lord, you have said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Lord, all of us here today have fallen short of your glory. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your word tells us that for by grace have you been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus has finished the work. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that's never repented of their sin, turn from their sin and turn to Christ for salvation. I pray in this moment, right where they are seated, that they would look to the author and finisher of their faith. 
that they would call upon the only name given under heaven amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And so with nobody looking around right where you are, if that's you, I want to encourage you right there in the stillness of this moment to in your heart reach out to Christ, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, admit you're a sinner, and put your faith and belief in who He is and what He came to do. He went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. And He took that sin and He placed it on the cross of Calvary. He took it upon Himself. The wrath of God was poured out and He absorbed it. His death and three days in the grave, that atonement for your sin. But three days later, He rose from the grave victorious over death. And he's alive. And he made a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so right where you are, if you would just call upon the name of Jesus Christ to save you, repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him alone, he promises you eternal life. Father, have your way in the hearts and listeners, those watching, listening on the podcast or either here in this congregation. And Lord, I pray that you'll make your calling clear and understood. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Jesus